This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Um, I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'll continue to say it. Um, it's really important that you know this about me. Um, just in case there's anything that um, you ask of me, I am a worthless mechanic. So if you, if you ever need any car help, let me just say, uh, move past my number in your phone. You don't need to call me. I am worthless. So like I remember one time, I, I think I've told you before, you know, I, I'll, open a, I'll open a hood because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to open it up and look around and go, well, I mean, everything still looks like it's here. I don't know. I'm not really sure what else to do. <laughs> like that's kind of what happens to me. One time, just sheer luck, I was... Um, you know, I opened up a friend's hood in high school, and it was a big truck, one of those big old, like, 1970s trucks, and so it was easy to get to stuff, and I saw there was a little hose in there that looked like it had a hole in it, and I was like, I don't know, let me take this off and see what happens. I took it off, took it to AutoZone, I said, can I get another one of these? They're like, what do you need? I said, whatever this is, I don't know what this is, and they gave it back, and then I put the new hose on, and the car worked. I was like, see, I can do this. Didn't know what the hose was. Still don't know if it fixed it. It could have just been that it was, I don't know. I don't know what, what it was. I have no idea. But, um, but I'm, I'm notorious in some ways, especially when I was younger, for forgetting to do things like putting gas in my car. And so, um, you know, a number of times I ran out of gas. One time uh, I ran out of gas. I was leaving. I was working at Target in high school. And I was leaving about 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night uh, in Tempe, pulling out, um, didn't, I forgot to look and see how much gas I had in my gas tank. I had no idea. I pull out of the parking lot. I start driving. I get about maybe 50 feet, and the car goes, goes dead. And I'm like, what just happened? I have no idea what happened. And I look, I'm like, oh, I ran out of gas. So then I, I'm like, there's a mile to the gas station. So I'm drifting. How, how, you know, how long can I let this thing just drift and hopefully I put it in neutral? It's just going. And at some point, it's slow enough. So I open the door, and I get out, and I start... I grab the door and I grab the steering wheel and I'm like running as hard as I can with my car. You know, there's no one on the streets. I'm, just, I'm running down the road in my work clothes, trying to get there. I'm like a quarter of a mile and I start just walking. I'm like, I, I'm so tired. I'm so frustrated. I'm sweaty. You know, I'm just trying so hard to get this thing to the gas station. I finally get it there and then I can't get it up the driveway. So I'm like pu- trying to push it to the, and some nice person came up and they were helping me push it up there. And when I finally got to the gas station, I'm sweaty, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, and I'm just like, it, it would have taken me, you know, maybe 15 seconds to drive this, but it took me a half an hour to try and just walk it to the gas station. It's such a dumb thing to do. You know why? Because without an engine, the car doesn't work. Do you guys know that? Without, without your engine working, the car doesn't work. And without gas in the engine, the car, the car doesn't go either. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. If you didn't know that, let me just say that. If you don't have gas in your gas tank, the engine stops. Do you guys know that? That was news to me back then. I didn't know. I was just trying to figure out how to get it to the next paycheck. But I, I, you know, that is something that happens to me all the time. And there's been a number of times in the middle of traffic where, in your rush hour, where, where I'll forget to put gas in the, in the gas tank, and all of a sudden the car dies, and I'm like, I don't really know what to do, and you feel like an idiot. Right? So there's, there's something about an engine that makes the car go. The engine actually makes it work. The engine makes it go. Now, I can occasionally, if the car's not working, if the engine's not working, I can push it somewhere, but the time it takes and the frustration that comes and the exhaustion that happens in that is, is so monumental 
from what it would have been if I had just put gas in the car the day, the day before and the engine would have actually worked. We need an engine for a car to get where we need to go. We need an engine for it to work. And similarly, as Christians, there's an engine that causes us to go. There's an engine, Christian, that should cause you to go. And and what I mean by go is not just like go and be a missionary or something like that. What I mean go is to live your life day by day in such a way that you are growing. What I mean by going is I mean growth, Christian maturity, growth. There is an engine that should propel us that way. But oftentimes, we actually exist as if the engine doesn't exist. We just try pushing ourselves forward. We try and do it on our own strength. We try to actually be holy, which we're going to talk about that word in a moment. If you don't know what that means, I'll define it in a second. Be holy, be uh, mature as Christians to grow day by day. We try to do that on our own strength without the engine that should propel us. The engine behind or fueling our holiness. See, oftentimes we we try to live our lives uh, looking like Jesus without having our hope placed in the right place. If we are trying to grow as Christians... Daily, uh, daily, on a daily basis, we're trying to grow as Christians without placing our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing his grace for us, and still trying then to do the best that we can just to be good people, then we are like those trying to drive a car without an engine. We are trying to just push this car as hard as we can, as fast as we can, and eventually we will exhaust ourselves because we can't do it. And Peter's going to help us with this this morning. Actually, our, our, our big idea this morning hits at this, and it's this, that Christian, you live differently in terms of holiness because you've been loved differently. You don't, you don't find yourself loved by God because you've lived differently. That is not Christianity. That is not gospel realities. And yet we live that way sometimes. Like God will love me if I live differently, if I live better. Or maybe even more so, I will just live differently without even thinking about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. No, the reality that Peter's going to hit here in in 1 Peter chapter 1 in our text this morning, verses 13 through 21, is that you, Christian, ought to or should or continue to live differently, looking more like Jesus, because for the very purpose uh, of being that you have been loved by him in a radically different and deep way. This is, we, we have to have it this way. If, if, we, if we don't get any of this right, then there are outcomes here if we ignore all of this. And the question that I'm going to answer for you a little later is, what are the outcomes? What happens? What, what, what does it look like if we don't live like this, if we ignore this truth, what happens to us? How, sh- how, how does it change our, our thinking? What does it mean uh, about our relationship with the Lord and, and, and how we go forward? So we want to make sure we grasp this in the proper order. I'm going to read um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through the end of the chapter, but we're just going to focus on 13 through 21 this morning. We are in the English Standard Version this is 1 Peter chapter 1, and this is what it says. 
Therefore, and let me stop there. I didn't get very far. Therefore, um, he's just saying all these first 12 verses matter. And because they matter and because of all that I just said, let me say what I'm about to say. With all that as a foundation, with all that I've already laid the foundation, now let me build the house. You can't build the house without the foundation that I just laid here in the first 12 verses. So therefore, because of all that I just said, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We um, will hit those last few verses next week, and those are monumental verses in the Bible, those last four. And so are these here that we're going to hit this morning. Peter, like I said, he says, therefore, listen, he's talking about the, the work of the Godhead to save us, to have us have imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for us, hope in him, that in our trials and in our suffering, we have hope in Jesus Christ and his grace for us, that we can experience and love the grace that he's given to us, things that angels even long to look at that don't we experience, things that prophets uh, prophesied about, the love and the grace of God, that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we have that as ours in Jesus Christ. And Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. This is a, actually, this is the pivot verse in 1 Peter. You know, it's a, it's a verse, you ever watch friends like pivot, you know, that pivot moment up the stairs and then you got to turn the couch because you're going a different direction. That's this. This is a pivot verse. You're, you're, we're going up the stairs. He's giving us gospel reality and now he's saying, therefore, because of all this gospel truth, let me talk to you about what it means to live as strangers here. Because your home is actually not here. We have a, a different inheritance. This is somewhere that we are sojourners and exiles in this world that we live in as Christians because our kingdom is not of this world. And so we live here as strangers here. 
Therefore, because of all the gospel truth, what does it mean for you to live here? This is the rest of the letter of P- in Peter. This is what we're going to be talking about. What does it look like, Christian, to live as strangers here? And this is that pivot verse. This is where he changes it. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So I'm going to, let me just talk about this one verse for a second, verse 13, because this, the rest of the letter hinges on this. This preparing your minds, literally what it says, which is, this is a weird phrase for us um, in 2022, but what, what he li- literally is saying is, gird the loins of your mind for action. This is what he means. Again, we hear that and we're like, okay, that sounds kind of weird. Can we say that in church? Yes. Gird the loins of your mind for action. It would have been common phraseology here. It's people that wear, are wearing longer cloaks that they would go to run. They're trying to do something to prepare themselves. They would wrap it between their legs and tuck it into their belt so that they could actually run and not be encumbered by all the stuff, all the stuff that was down around their ankles. They wanted to, to remove all of that. They're preparing themselves. And he's saying, do that with your minds. Take all of the encumbrances, everything that, that is tempting to, to be tripping you up and remove it. Prepare yourself, prepare your minds for action. And he says, be sober-minded, literally not drunk-minded. Look at the rest of this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our minds are to be set fully on the grace and the hope of the gospel, not being intoxicated by the other things that can drown that out. So Christian, let me, let me just say this again. You are called now in the scriptures to trust in the gospel and to prepare yourself to live differently. Not being intoxicated by the world around you. Not being intoxicated in your mind by all of the things that can distract us. And man, if there is a, a time in life or in the history of the world where we are tempted to be intoxicated by things around us, it's now. It's, it's intoxicated by the, the, uh, the influx and all the stuff coming at us through things like social media that hits us. And I'm not just talking about the media, you know, all the stuff. I'm just talking about the time we spend on there. Not, even, not let alone what we're hearing from there, but just the time we spend or the striving for money or status or fame, the, the um, seeing ourselves constantly, some of us perhaps as just victims of circumstance everywhere and not trusting the Lord. Or it could be that we wind up in our, in our own minds as those who just need more. We, we, you know, we, we travel, we have a lot, we try to get more stuff. We try to get more education. We try to do all this stuff. We listen to all the talking heads that we can possibly find. We watch sports. We watch TV. It's all coming in on us. Not all of those are bad things, but when they intoxicate our minds so that our hope is no longer set on Jesus Christ and his grace, then we are not sober-minded. We've been intoxicated by the world around us. And Peter's saying, prepare yourselves for action, not intoxicated by the world around you, but setting your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ. And so this is a pivot. This is saying, he's saying, because of the gospel, live differently. In other words, live differently, Christian, because you've been loved differently. That love that you've been loved differently should motivate you. Set your minds to action. 
Be sober-minded. Put your hope on grace, which leads me to just two points this morning. Oftentimes, I don't have points I'll put up there. Today, I do because I think it's helpful for us to make sure we understand what he's saying in the proper order. The first is this, that we should set our hope on grace, or I think I wrote it as where we set our hope. Where do we set our hope? I'm actually going to go back to front here. I'm going to go to the end of this section before I go to the beginning of it. Where do we set our hope? Because he says, set your hope fully on grace in verse 13. And the grace was defined in the previous 12 verses. This goodness and goodness of gospel truth and reality defined in the previous 12 verses. All of the joys that we find in Jesus. All of the joys that we find in him. And I also want you to notice in verses 14 and 17, Peter begins to shift it just from being you are you are, um, you know, you belong to God to you are children of God. In verse 14. And in verse 17, and if you call on him as Father, the relationship that we have, the goodness of grace, the love that we have, is not just a casual love, it's a love of adoption of those who were orphans, those who didn't have a home, those who, didn't, those who needed a father. God says, in Jesus, I'm going to give you what you need. Though, Romans tells us, we were enemies, though we stood against him, though because of sin, and sin's a, a churchy word, it just means going our own way, it means um, making our own rules, it means breaking God's rules, it means doing whatever we want to do and not not living for him, not doing the things that he calls us to in holiness, which we're going to talk about in a moment, in perfection and who he is. All of that is sin. Because of all that, we stood against him. Even so, he says, my living room, because of my grace, is yours. And I have a bedroom upstairs prepared for you. I want you in my house. I'm going to love you like my son, like my daughter. This is father, son, daughter relationship. Peter reframes it here for us as children to fathers because the love of God for us is so deep. And I want you to look at verse 18. If that wasn't enough, the reason that we could even become sons and daughters of the living God is because we were ransomed. It didn't just happen. There was not, it wasn't possible for us to just, God just to say, okay, you need to come into my family now. There needed to be a payment for this. We were imprisoned in our sin, rightfully so. We were imprisoned. We were, the, the, the phraseology here, I guess the, the image is, we were enslaved, imprisoned. And it needed payment to be brought out of slavery, imprisonment. God needed to pay a price for this. And he paid the price we see not with something perishable like, like gold or silver, which is precious, but that's perishable. That's going away. One of, those day, one of these days, that's going to that's gonna just burn up when this world burns up. He didn't pay the ransom price with something as insignificant as gold and silver. He paid the ransom price with something much more precious, which is the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The reason that we can have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with God Almighty is because he paid a ransom price of blood, his own blood for us. 
And because of his blood for us and the love that that took for him to do so, we are called now sons and daughters of the living God, the one who made us, the one who causes us to breathe in our beings, the one who rules all things says, yeah, you're not just a being in my world, you are a child in my world. And we get to experience this of this love that he has for us. Not only that, but he has made him known in our time. We get to experience, we talked about this last week, we get to experience the joy of knowing Jesus. There were, there were people that believed in God for thousands of years who, who didn't have a name to put with somebody that was going to come and save them. They trusted in God. They trusted in a future king that was going to come. We get to look back and say, we know that king. We know what he did for us. We know that God so loved the world that he gave him to us. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Life for the ages, legit, uh, literally that says. Life for the ages we get to have because God loved you. A, a different kind of love. Look, it's one thing to love your family. And I do, I, I love my family. I love my, my wife and my children. I love them. But I cannot save them from their sins. I can't die for them so that they can come to know Jesus. They didn't stand against me as an enemy. They didn't push back against me and not want to have anything to do with me. They didn't do that. We did that with God. And his love for us is so deep, so strong, so powerful, so unbreaking and unwavering that he said, even so, my son is sent for you. And it's by that ransom price, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we find ourselves in family relationship with God. Church, we've been loved differently. The gospel actually, and the hope that we have in the gospel, it teaches us that the love of God for us is unbreakable. We can't, we can't break it. And to, and to make sure that there was an exclamation point on that, the blood of Jesus ransomed us and God said, it is finished to the point where I want to make sure you know the exclamation point is on it and it worked by raising Jesus from the dead. So we don't, we don't celebrate or we don't worship a, a, a Jesus who died for us and we feel sorry for him because he's still in the grave and that, that was really bad that he had to die for us and he's dead now, but at least we get to live. No, we celebrate one who died for us and God said, yes, I accept that sacrifice. Yes, you can be my sons and daughters because watch this, by resurrection power, the God who died for you has risen from the grave. And so we celebrate a risen Christ. And I want you to see what he says at the end here of our, of our verses in verse 21. This happened, he raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your hope and your faith are in God. So you have been brought into the family by the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, for the very purpose of you having hope and faith in the God who sent his son and brought you into his family so that your faith may be different and deeper, so that your hope may be set firmly. Look, our hope, Christian, is not on our own efforts. We have to get the order right because we're going to talk about our own efforts really quickly. We're going to get there, all right? 
But your hope does not, it should not, if you're thinking properly, your hope should not rise or fall with if you had a bad day in sin or a good day not sinning. If you had a bad day and how you treated your neighbor, you had a good day. Your hope actually is totally secured in the risen Christ. Your hope in the gospel is secure in the risen Christ. If he ever dies again, our hope is gone. He will never fail you. This is gospel truth. This is what it means when he says at the very beginning, being sober-minded in in 1 Peter chapter 1, being sober-minded, set your hope. It's like me setting my, my Bible here. I set it here. Now, this table's wobbly. It's broken a couple times, not gonna lie. But, but, but I can set this here. I can set this on the ground. This ground, chances are, unless we come with a bulldozer and remove it, this ground's gonna stay firm. I'm standing here, there's, there's very little chance, if any, that this ground will just open up and swallow me up. I'm pretty confident standing here that it's not going anywhere. And this ground, as confident as we can be on this ground, standing here or sitting where you are, this grounding is paling in comparison to the grounding that you have standing and setting your hope on Jesus Christ and the grace that he has. We have full confidence that he will do what he said and our hope should be there, not anywhere else. So we set our hope on grace and we set our minds, now that we have experienced grace, we set our minds on action. Our hope is set on grace We've been loved differently. And now our minds should be set on action, living differently here. This is what Peter's trying to say. Setting your minds fully on grace. As obedient children, verse uh, 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now we start to get to what does it look like, Christian, for you to set your hope fully on grace, and what does it look like then to live differently? I just want you to look here at all the kind of the commands he gives. Obedient children. He wants you to be obedient. He wants me to be obedient to the word, to God. Do not be conformed. He called you to be holy, therefore be holy. We, we serve a father who judges in judgment impartially and he calls us to fear the Lord. These are all things that Peter's trying to help us to understand. Our hope is set on, on the grace of Jesus Christ and, and the gospel, but our lives then, because of this grace, should be set on action, should be set on holiness, should be set on fearing the Lord, should be set on living our lives for him, should be set on opening our Bibles and saying, what is he calling me to do? How should my life look here? We don't get to define this. I think so often in this life, uh, Christian, in America in 2022, man, we love to define what it looks like for us. We can write our own definitions. And, And unfortunately, oftentimes, you know who writes the definitions for us? The culture. And I'm not a culture warrior. I'm not. If you know me, you know I'm not. And I think I love living in America in 2022. I feel like I'm blessed for it. I love watching Netflix. I love playing sports. I love watching TV and I love playing video games here and there. And I love doing all sorts of stuff. So I enjoy the world, but my hope isn't set here. And even in those things, what's defining how I should live as a Christian isn't those things. It's the Bible. 
And it's who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We need to live differently because we've been loved differently. These commands. I just want to take two of these things really fast. The first one is the command and the call here that he has for us to be holy. Look what it says. But as he who called you, meaning who brought you out, who called us to himself, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As your father is holy, so the child should be holy. This is like, this is like you know, in old times, people would take uh, their, the, the things that their, that their father did typically. If he was a baker, they'd become a baker. If, they were, you know, if he was a tanner, they'd become a tanner, whatever it was. That's, they, just, they became who their father was. This is like us. We should become who our father is. He is holy. And he's saying, as he is holy, he has called you to be holy, and therefore be holy. Holiness, it means purified. It means taking all the imperfections and just continually moving them away. The, the big churchy word for this is sanctification. Sanctification. Five syllables. I had to do the math there for a second. Five syllables. Sanctification, it's a big word. What it means is continuing day by day to look like Jesus. To look less like the world and look more like the king. This is, this is sanctification, it's growth, it's moving forward. And the engine for this should be the gospel. It should be my, my firm hope set in Jesus Christ. I've been loved so differently, therefore I wanna look like the one who saved me. I wanna be holy and, and Peter says, as he called you, he is holy, therefore you should be holy. And ultimate holiness is found in God himself is perfection. Now we will never reach that here. We can, there are some theologies that say you can uh, you know, reach perfection here. I would say nonsense. Show me the person. Nobody's ever done that. We will never be perfect here. But the, but the action, preparing our minds for action, sober-minded should be to say, I want to be as holy as I can because the God who saved me is holy. And I want to look like him. This is, the, this is the call in Peter. And he also says, conduct yourselves with fear, for God judges impartially. In verse 18. Conduct yourselves with fear. Now we, we kind of say, oh, seems wrong. Doesn't seem right. We shouldn't fear God. I mean, we read a book called Gentle and Lowly. It's like, we don't fear him. Like, we should come to him. He calls us, come to me, all who are weary. Why are we fearing him? And I would say, such is the mystery of God, that we can come to him who is gentle and lowly, in humility, and also at the same time, fear him. I mean, after all, Proverbs, the whole thing of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we need to fear the Lord. And this isn't just fearing him like, oh yeah, I fear him. No, I think that the intention here, as, as Peter is saying it, is it's, there is a fear of the judge who judges impartially. There is a little bit of, I, I want to be holy because God is holy and I fear, I fear him. I mean, Hebrews, it is a, it is a scary thing to come to the God, the God of the mountain, the burning fire, consuming fire, and if you think, well, I just don't see that in the Bible, let me remind you, we went through Acts a couple years ago, at the very beginning of Acts, and I can't help but wonder if Peter had this in mind when he wrote this. The early church, they were, they were selling properties and they were giving up all of, you know, lots of their money to the church. Nobody was forced to do that. 
People just in their own generosity of heart would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give money to the church. People need it. And they were selling some properties. And there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who sold a property for $5 million, let's say. I have to say $10 million, more round number. For $10 million. They sold it for $10 million. And they brought, it to, they brought the, the proceeds to the church, to Peter. And Ananias came first. And he said, hey, we are so generous man, I'm just telling you how generous we are. We sold this property. It's worth a lot. It's worth $5 million. We're giving you the whole $5 million. See how generous we are, everybody? See how generous we are? And the Lord told Peter, they made $10 million on that. And so he asked him, did you really sell us for $5 million? Yes, I did. And the Lord struck him down dead in a moment. And his wife comes later and he says, how much did you sell the property for? She said, $5 million. And the Lord struck her dead down in a moment. You know why? The Lord is to be feared. That is post-resurrection. We think, well, that sounds like the God of the Old Testament. They're no different. Why do you think when we go through communion stuff and the Lord's Supper, it says some of you are sick, some of you have died because you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You know why? Because we are to fear the living God. Doesn't mean we can't come to him with humility and, and recognize, look, we can come close to him, but as we come close to him, we recognize he's still a deity and he's still holy. As he is holy, be holy, fear the Lord. And I also want you to notice too that, that Peter is using um, big words. And I don't mean big, I mean long. I mean big like fully in verse 13. Set your hope fully, meaning every part of you. Set all of your hope, every ounce of your hope. Squeeze it out and set all of it fully on the hope of grace. Don't leave any of your hope outside and not set on his grace. Put all of it there. And also in verse 15, look what it says in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There isn't room here for like, well, surely some of my conduct is okay if it's not holy. Peter's saying be holy in everything. All of your conduct, strive for holiness. And then again in verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, listen, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You know what that means? Throughout your whole life on this earth. As you are in exile throughout every moment of every day as you live on this planet until Jesus comes back, conduct yourself with the fear of the Lord. In all things, set your hope on the gospel of grace. And in all things, be holy. And in every moment of every day, recognize that the Lord God is to be feared. This is what Peter's saying. He's saying, Christian, your life should be different because the love that you have been given is different. The love of Jesus for you is so radically different different and deep, that your heart should be so affected that you can then live as if the world didn't have a hold on you, as if you weren't intoxicated by it, but instead you were sobered and said, wait a second, that intoxicates me, this doesn't, therefore my hope is here, and I want to be holy like my king. 
This is, this is how we should live. This is what people, I'm not making this up. This isn't the kind of thing where it's like, well, Jason was really rough today on us. He's talking about holiness and fear. I'm doing nothing. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If, you, if, you, if you're feeling convicted, that's the scriptures. That's not me. I'm as convicted as you. I'm like, wow, okay. I really wish that there was a loophole. Don't see one. The question is, what's the outcome? What, what does it mean for us if we ignore the reality of this truth? And the first one is this, that it kind of means, I think, that we live as if Jesus did really not much for us. Because if what Peter's saying is true, that our, our hope should be set firmly on him and his grace, then if we just ignore that and say, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want, do we really get the gospel? Do we really understand the love that he has for us and that he's shown towards us? Tiffany wears, uh, we both wear our wedding, wedding rings. Um, because they're precious to us. Because, because I know she loves me and I, I love her and it's a, it's a means for us to, to demonstrate that, right? They're precious. It's gold. This is a gold piece. Even when I accidentally drop it down the Diamondback stair, uh, staircase in the upper deck and it pings down like 10, stair, uh, 10 steps down into somebody's nachos, even if that were to happen, I'm just saying hypothetically, I'm not saying that did happen, but it's just, if it were, I still think this is precious, right? I, we, we went and, we, no, we didn't go. We would have, if that would have happened, went and gotten it back and cleaned it off and I would have put it back on my finger, right? I just know this is the case. If, if, if me or her were, were to have st- just stop wearing our wedding rings, just be like, mm, I don't care about this. I'm just gonna leave it, no longer wear it because I don't care. What that would communicate to me or her is that all of a sudden the, the preciousness of the relationship the love that we shared is, is gone. It's waning. It's, I, care, I, I don't care as much. I'm not thinking as much about her. And when we think about holiness and living our lives for him and fearing the Lord, we are, we are demonstrating by faith that he matters and his sacrifice mattered. We also um, risk standing opposed to the living God. We, stand, uh, we risk standing opposed to him. As he calls us to be holy, if we say, you know what, I know you're calling us that, but forget it. I'm not gonna live for you. I'm just not gonna do it. We, we risk standing up. You wanna be opposed, like Christian, you wanna be opposed to the living God? Or you wanna find the grace found in him? God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So we need to make sure we, we get this. We need to make sure we understand it. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I don't know everybody here. I know that there's, a number of different seasons of life in this room I'm looking around. And some of you maybe have heard the gospel a lot. Maybe you grew up in Christian homes. Maybe you've heard it a number of times. But, you know, you've always just thought, eh, it's something for later. Or maybe you just have gone through the motions. You, you don't know what it means to put your hope fully on the grace of God. You don't know what it means to live your life in fear of God or, or to strive for holiness. Maybe that's you because you just haven't experienced the goodness of trusting him. Let me say this to you this morning. Um, today could be the day of salvation for you. Because, because life is not about just living how we want to live. There is a God above you. There is one who calls you to something. There is one who says, come to me if you are weary and I will give you rest. There is one to fear. There is a judge who judges impartially. There is a, a hope that you can have that is not in yourself 
Because look, you're going to die one day, and with you dies your hope. But there's a king who says, put your hope in me. I've already died, and I've risen again, and I'm not dying anymore. And your hope can be there this morning. Just trusting him. It's saying, I want that. I want that from you. Do that in me. If you're not a Christian, I, I pray that you would make that decision. Look, Christian, we live differently because we've been loved differently. I have two ways to live this out. Two quick ways, then we're going to sing a little bit more and take communion. The first is this. Ask this question. What is the blood of Jesus worth to me? Look, we've got to define current reality. Where are we at? In your own life, what is the blood of Jesus worth to you? If you say nothing, then I would just say, oh, maybe you're not a Christian then. Which is good. I'm glad. Look, let's define the reality of the situation. What is it worth to you? Is it worth giving up parts of this life? Some of the, the joys that the world would say are, are worth it because God's called you not to live that way. Is it worth giving those up or is it not? That's what holiness is. It's saying, I want to know who God is and what he's called me to and I want to live that way. What is, it, what is it worth to you? I can't answer that for you, but I do pray at some point this week you answer the question, what's it worth to you? And the second uh, point that I would have is this. Simply fear the Lord and be holy. Fear the Lord and be holy. We, um, you know, when we talk about church life and community, one of the reasons why community matters is because it's in community life. It's in our community groups. It's in our men's and women's ministries. It's in coming on Sunday morning. It's in gathering with friends who are Christians that we find help in understanding and growing in what it means to fear the Lord and be holy. We need each other for this. We can't do this on our own. Because we need reminders. We need someone to speak into our life and say, well done, you're doing great here. And we need someone to speak in our life and go, hey, wait a second, this doesn't look like holiness. And we need to be those for other people too. We, we gather in community. One of our values is being passionately one. And part of that is because we want to be passionate about helping one another see that we need Jesus. And we need to grow and we need discipleship. Growth happens in community. So if you're not a part of a community group, let me just make a pitch. Jump into one. We've got four of them going on right now. If you haven't been to a men's or women's thing, please jump into one. We'd love to have you find and experience discipleship through that and to build together Fear the Lord, Christian, and be holy. This is the call from Peter. And quite frankly, we're just getting started in 1 Peter. Because, man, there, there's a lot of gospel truth still left in here, but there is a lot of stuff that we're called to. And, and a lot of it just has to do with what does a Christian look like living here in this strange land? What does it look like for us to live here? Julie, you can come on up and we're going to close here. We, we are Christians and bear the name Christian because we believe in Christ. We have Christ as our king, so they call us Christians. We bear his name. And we're also called to bear his character, which is holiness. And we're also called to, to bear him as a God and say, we, we do fear you. And we're also called to come and set our hope fully, not on how well we do here or there, but on on his grace. Look, this is so confusing sometimes as Christians. Because it sounds like I'm saying two different things. That's why I said it in the order that I did. Your hope is in gospel truth. 
And therefore, because you have experienced gospel truth and reality and love, we are to live for him. That's the way it is. We live differently because we've been loved differently. Christian, this is, this is 1 Peter. I mean, this is, this is a pivot section because I just pretty much defined for you the whole rest of the letter in one sermon, but we're still gonna go through all of it, all right? We're gonna continue to hit it. We're gonna continue to walk through it. We want to see what he says. And my, my prayer for you, uh, Christian, here as your pastor, is that you wouldn't just take this and go, oh, okay, I can see that, and then do whatever you want. My prayer, and I do pray it, is that the Spirit of God would begin to just continually convict us of where we need to grow, and we could be a church uh, more refined. You know, like the gold is refined, it's put through fire, and it's, it's burned up and then come back together, and all the impurities are gone. We want to be refined, that God would continue to purify us, to be holy, to be set apart for him, ready to do the will of God for us, for him, for his glory in us. We want, we want our lives to be forfeited to him, Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. We're going to sing uh, a little bit here. As we sing this song, if you would just take a moment in this um, song to evaluate your hearts. I mentioned the Lord's Supper. It's for Christians. We're going to take it after this song. It's for Christians to take it in a worthy manner, meaning that we're examining our hearts before the Lord just to make sure, like we want to walk with fear of the Lord, to make sure that our hearts are pure, that there's nothing that we need to confess between us and Him, or there isn't relationships we need to have mended. If there are, if there's something and you feel like you, you need to talk to somebody first, then just hold off on communion. There's no shame. But we want to take it in a worthy manner. If you could evaluate your hearts during this song, and if you haven't gotten the communion cup, you can go back and get it in the back. Uh, they're on the tables behind you back there. So if you want to do that now as we sing this song, we're going to stand, evaluate your hearts, uh, grab your communion uh, cup, and drink, a cup, and then we're going to come back and take communion together. Let me pray first, though, um, for our time. Lord, would you work in us? Refine us, make us holy, make us set apart for you, ready to do your will. Not because our efforts earn us your love, but because your love has bought us new life to live differently for you. Lord, help us to recognize the love that we have in adoption. We don't stand before you in fear of a of a, somebody who's going to destroy us. We stand before you as fear of a child before a father whose love is so fierce that you will not let us fall into disrepair or danger. May we see that and understand that your love is so deep for us that we want to please you and help us to want to please you. Do that in all of our lives. If there is somebody here right now who is um, realizing or maybe convicted that they've never given their life to you, I pray that they would pray a simple prayer of, Lord, save me from my sins. Help me to see you differently. 
Help me to know your love. I want to follow you. Simple prayer is that. Lord, do that. Because I want people to experience the joy of knowing you. Lord, would we, would we continue to grow that here? By your spirit and by your grace, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.